You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Coming to you from Podcast Detroit, it's Heard, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Heard is a collaboration between the Hungry Dudes, Nick Drinks, and the Detroit Optimist Society. Each week, we interview industry professionals about issues related to food, beverage, and hospitality. Please take a moment to subscribe to Heard through the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, or however you subscribe to your podcasts. Write a review and let us know what you think. For additional content, including awesome videos and photos, visit HerdPodcast.com, like Heard Podcast on Facebook, and follow at Heard Podcast on Instagram. We appreciate your support and hope you enjoy this week's episode of Heard. Hello and welcome to Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. I am your co-host Nick Britsky, and in the studio is also Jason. I don't know how to follow up with that. That was too good. The faux host. I wasn't prepared. <laughs> and that's it. It's the two of us. But also joining us is our lovely guest, uh, Megan Ackroyd, third generation bakery owner of Wait for It Ackroyd Scottish Bakery. Hello. Hi. Um, I was going to do a whole Highlander bit, but um, I'm deciding on the spot not to do it anymore. It would have flown right over my head. Yeah? Yeah, I haven't watched any of it. Megan of the Clan, Ackroyds. See, it's not as good if you're not like a McLeod. I know, it's really not. Sorry for my last name being a disappointment to you. Well, now that we have zero <laughs> people listening right now. Um, one of the things I first wanted to chat about is there have been some service uh, news articles in the Detroit area, and one of them happened at uh, M Cantina. There was a, uh, a gentleman that uh, was not happy with his order, uh, asked to have the order made again. Some confusion happened. The order did not get made again. So he refused to pay and the police were called. This does not sound like a good um, example of hospitality. I mean, I'm sure the guy also was not an outstanding citizen. But what are our thoughts on that? What makes you say that? <sighs> I mean, Just because he asked to have something different? No. no I. All right, so fair. I, I know um, Junior, who's at M Cantina, and I don't feel like he's an overly aggressive kind of, you know, owner like that. So that's why I'm assuming this guy was a little uh, bit of a jerk. He wasn't the first point of contact, was he? First point of contact with the police? Like the management? I'm not sure. I'd have to look at the article again. And uh, you know what? Hey, he could totally be in the right. And, you know, Junior was just not on his A-game and called the police and... You know, I mean, I don't think there's really ever a reason to call the police over that kind of dispute. Yeah. Uh, I mean, unless there's like a violence or issue involved. Maybe we don't know all the facts. Just seems like uh, uh, without knowing more details that it definitely could have been handled a little bit. Uh, I think so. All the way around. I think that's the moral of the story. I don't think it's an uncommon uh, request to, you know, try something different if you're not, uh, no. you know, satisfied with what you got. If you don't like it. And I don't know. We've talked about that in the past. You know, at the sugar house, you just get it out of their face, get them something that they like. Well, the customer smiling. even said he thought it tasted chemically. Right, that was part of it. So we're also talking a bill of like nine dollars, wasn't it? Right. So and it's what's like the food cost involved versus all of this negative publicity they're getting. I think yeah, that's everything to look at. Is you know that that story has definitely been popped up. It's been shared. It's been discussed on world famous podcasts. So <laughs> this is not probably the the PR you want. 
Oh, no, never. You yeah. don't want the people on Herd thinking ill of you. Our Herd. Wait, is this the world famous podcast? Maybe. Or are you talking about other podcasts? Other podcasts. <laughs> oh, okay. Definitely. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the other thing is we had talked about the sushi festival, I believed, a little bit, a couple podcasts ago. <clears throat> and now there was the Chinese festival that uh, happened on Saturday. I was going to check it out, but didn't have time with my epic garage sale. And uh, it turned out that the the similar problems to the sushi festival, food ran out, um, people weren't let in that bought tickets, uh, lines were long. It did not sound like a good experience. I'm honestly amazed uh, as uh, a two things, somebody that works in restaurants and bars and somebody that also works on marketing that like sushi and I mean the Chinese food, I, I, I didn't realize there was such a strong um, like customer base for these things. I mean – you know, the free press does the food and wine. They get Martha Stewart. They get like, you know, famous chefs to mm-hmm. come down. It's a really compelling thing. You know, our Detroit does a great job marking these things. This thing just popped up in my feed. It's kind of looked like a Facebook event. It didn't really look like it had the same cachet, I guess, that you as Martha would, Stewart. Yeah. You know, as you would expect from like, but, you know, reading the comments in the event after the fact, I mean, looked like a lot of people showed up downtown for the, for the Chinese, uh, Right. Food festival. And I think the, the, what the article brought up is that they had very heavily marketed it. So they got the word out. I mean, I heard about it. You heard about it. I don't know if either of you guys heard about it. Nope. That's, no, all. that's a head not. shake. Um, yep. So we got three out of four have heard of us, heard, heard of this, and they just weren't prepared. So if they knew how many tickets were sold, in theory, you know how much food to make. Yeah. Now, if this is your first event, though, you might not know. That might be – it seems to be a bigger problem because I was talking to some people that went to a zoo event this past weekend. I think there was like the Zoo Brew, I think it was called. Uh, which is always a cluster. Yeah. That, I, I don't know. They they were saying the same thing. You know, they had gone on a Friday night or whatever night, weekend. I think it was Friday night. And, uh, you know, the beer ran out early. Yeah. And, all, and it's like, you know, you know how many tickets you're selling. So you should have a pretty good idea. But um, I don't know. Maybe it's a lot harder to pull those off. Than it seems at face value. I think uh, a lot of it also has to do with these are these are businesses that are being asked to do all of this for free, mm. and they get asked repeatedly. Especially, you know, the bigger names get asked mm. all, probably to do at least at least a festival a month, and and they're you expecting know, you to give food. Everyone that has approached us has always expected us to do it completely on exposure alone. Ah, uh, the e yeah. word. Yep. So. A lot of these businesses will, will agree to do it. to be not as much provided. Yeah, like, oh, look, we're here, and then we ran out. We must have been really popular. Right, right. <laughs> but, well, and if that's the case, I feel like it should almost be like, um, you know, while, while available. What's, what's the, the term that they put? Wall like, supplies. Wall less. supplies. Less. Yeah. Exactly. Wall supplies like, hey, get here early. These people are donating their food, you know, out of the goodness of their heart. But if everyone gets there early, there's still not going to be enough food. You know, it's just you're spreading out. You're prolonging the and stop the selling tickets. Supply, right? Something, right? And, or you know, help offset the costs for some of these places. Um, you know, it, it's we a lot of organizations are happy to make charitable or charitable donations, right. but um, it has to be part of a bigger plan, I think, for for companies. And it just tends to be the last tends to be something that gets looked at last and done off the cuff a lot, I think. It also sounded like the the, the design or the logistics weren't thought out. It sounded like a lot of people were waiting in one line mm-hmm. to get there, even when they got in, then they had to separately get 
some tickets like to use point for – to exchange or whatever at the different places, and that seemed to be like a second line, having to wait in line one to get in, two, two to, get tickets, to get tickets, three to get food. Three, yeah, doesn't sound mm-hmm. like the uh, like it was designed uh, efficiently for the, for the user experience. So, Megan, you've now done a couple of these events, uh, be it festivals and shows and things like that. How do you go about prepping for something you've never been to? It has to be an art. Well, here's part of here's another thing. They always tell you more than th- way more than you. And is it good to have more or you want, ideally you want to get right in the middle. Prepare for a thousand people and then 250 people show up. Is this the Ohio one? (laughs) (laughs) No. Uh, I mean, yeah, that was a real kick in the pants. (laughs) We did a festival, a Celtic festival. Which I was there. Two summers ago and they told us to prepare for like 10,000 people or something. So you had like a truck drop off pallets. Of food. Pallets of yeah. food. We prepared for a long time. We invested a lot of money in it. And as you saw, um, Central Ohio was not ready for all that Ackroyds had to offer. Um, but it was fun. And we, they put us in a weird spot in the festival. Yeah. And kind of in the back area where pe- we didn't get quite as much traffic. And That's another thing I've fun, noticed. This, but, uh, mm-hmm. and we've done a few events over the summer and uh, in the last couple weeks. And I wondered about that too, um, like the the positioning. You never really know. We did like the zoo, the Saver Detroit. Our did a Saver Detroit at Sav- the zoo. Saver? Oh no, Saver. Saver. That was Saver. I don't yeah. know. Maybe it was uh, the Free Press one. Yeah, and it's like definitely the positioning uh, makes a huge difference, in my opinion. Like we did the Free Press uh, food and wine one, and mm-hmm. you come in only one spot, and then if you're in the back, so I don't know how that works out. If they just randomly assign them or. It's I'm sure it's seniority. I'm sure there's, you know, how much you pay. Well, and then there's the, there's we're talking about two different types of events now too. The one that you and I went to in mm-hmm. Ohio, we were getting paid. We were able to sell our food. Mm. The ones you're referring to, Jason, are mm-hmm. pre-ticketed, and you're there out of the kindness of your heart for exposure to your business, which is, you know, not, not it's not a bad thing to be out there in in the public eye, but there's only so much of that. I mean, it costs you a lot more than just your food to yeah. be there. And it's it's time and it's time of the people that are already working really hard for you day in and day out. And then it's also, you know, the cost of food or beverage or whatever you're there providing. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think little naive Nick didn't know that that food was being donated for some of those events. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why they run out. Yeah, because well, people are like, I'll give you this much. <laughs> yeah, here's here's 10 spring rolls. <laughs> yeah. And if 11 people come, I'm sorry. But we I mean, cut them in half and there's 20. Well, perfect. <laughs> it's just like, you know, it, the margins on restaurants are pretty slim. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I feel like on top of that to ask them to donate. I don't know. That's just me. I mean, I've also worked at a million drink events where they want the liquor donated. So I guess it's no different. Yeah, I mean, from a marketing perspective, you just really do the math on what the expected, you know, impressions are that people are going to come by versus, you know, what you spend on it with the added benefit of unlike maybe like digital channels or different things that you actually get to interact with the people and they actually get to to taste your thing. So there's probably a little bit of a extra value in terms of um, above and beyond just like the, you know, the cost per eyeball. But um, yeah, it could be good, I think, in the right circumstance, Hmm. the right audience. The right so, time. Let's talk a little bit about Ackroyds. So this is a business you've had in your family for three generations. Mm-hmm. You've had a couple different locations. You've serviced probably tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. Millions. You think? No, maybe. Over 70 years, maybe. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. yeah, it's 70 years next 
what is this, 2018? 70 years next year. And so what – well, first off, talk about Ackroyds and then we'll talk about what the, the epic year-long party is going to be. Yes. We're going to ask for a lot of donations from various <laughs> businesses. <laughs> various scotch companies. <laughs> um, we are – we make – we start off as a butcher shop. Mm -hmm. So we make traditional um, Scottish meats such as haggis and black pudding and beef bangers. Um, we also make savory savory pies, individual savory pies, um, such as sausage rolls and pasties and chicken pot pies and Scottish meat pies are our bestseller. And then tea cakes, scones, shortbread, and we have a whole variety of, of uh, imported groceries. Mm -hmm. 1,100 cases of which are going to land on our doorstep tomorrow. Well, and luckily you have your little prep prep room next door. Yeah. So cause did you always have that? No, no. So where did it go? So, I mean, if you've ever been to Ackroyd's, oh. it's a small space. And you had the, the little store next to it, mm -hmm. which must have had something in it before. It was a barbershop or okay. a beauty parlor for a year. Beauty parlor. My grandma worked at a beauty parlor. <laughs> It was either a barbershop or a salon for years and years. And yeah. then at one point in time, the uh, landlord couldn't rent it any longer to any anyone. So we're like, we're fools. We'll take it. <laughs> well, it's certainly helpful. I no, like. it's really helpful. And it's been really great to expand our business line. Because that has led to a lot more shipping, right? Yeah, it's allowed us to be able to um, store all of our shipping supplies mm. and process our shipping orders over there and have an office space, not just a, a closet. Um, it's allowed us to be able to bring in a lot more imports at a time mm -hmm. because we can we have space to store them. Whereas right. before they put it all in the bakery, so they had a very um, limited selection, uh, and we were buying from importers, and now we're importing it all ourselves. So we have the ability to buy what we want. So previously, with like Iron Brew, they would say, "Okay, you can buy a case, and it's going to cost you X." Mm -hmm. But now you can buy a pallet. And you're getting that cost way down. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. It, it, it's made a big difference with that. So That's nice. Yeah. So uh, when you – let's see here. How do, I, how do I say this? When you, were, when you were born, was there this expectation that you were going to be the next in the, the long line of bakers? My dad never put any pressure on me to okay. take over the business. In fact, he did the opposite. He went out of his way to make sure that I didn't feel pressured to be involved whatsoever. And I probably should have taken that as a hint and ran. <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> Do you have brothers and sisters? Nope. It's oh, me. I so, see. And my, um, I have two cousins on that side of the family. They grew up in Alpena. So they were you know, somewhat removed from all of that. They're, they didn't ever feel pressure. They mm -hmm. would come visit the bakery and eat the food. But there was never really like any pressure on them to be involved. Um, I feel like I've put more pressure on them in the last five years than they've ever gotten in their whole life. <laughs> and at what point so when did you tell your dad like all right i'm in like how long ago was that oh nine years ago now nine okay. years ago i got laid off mm, um mm. living in charlotte north carolina so what were you doing i was working in corporate america for quite for uh, my during my 20s okay. and waiting tables a little a a little b and um i knew i wanted to own my own business i didn't know what and it always kept coming back to food because that's really all I knew. And then I was like, oh, I'll open like a little stereo, like stereotypical bakery, like what you think of typical, In well, of a tip, typical bakery. Yeah. yeah. You know, like brownies and cookies and okay. cupcakes or whatever. Um, a la bridesmaids. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No. It's been a while and I don't have a good memory. Oh, <laughs> 
like uh, that bakery in Birmingham. What's it called? Love and Buttercream. That to me is oh, like yeah. a quintessential. Like mm-hmm. what people think of when they think of bakery is that place. Yeah. And they, they make good food. Mm-hmm. Um, with love. With with love and, mm-hmm. and, and a little buttercream. buttercream. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then when I got laid off, I started thinking and I thought, you know, I'm going to do a Scottish bakery down here in Charlotte, North Carolina, because there was a really I did some research. and There's a big population of Scottish people in that area of the country. And so I came back over Thanksgiving break to Thanksgiving break. Like, I'm an adult. That wasn't really a thing. Um, You're also laid off. (laughs) Yeah, it was just November break. (laughs) Fun employment. Yes, fun employment. And I came back to learn all there was I needed to know. And then I was going to go back a week later and then just, you know, open a business. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I had no idea how much was involved. But when I got back or when I when I came back and I started working every day during that month Mm -hmm. to kind of remind my to see it from a different pair of eyes. Like I grew up working in the business, but to be to see it as an adult who has some business experience at this point. There's like going with the flow and there's like analyzing yeah i started realizing there's a lot of low-hanging fruit opportunities here my dad has no exit strategy what's going on we could do so much more with this we didn't even have a um we had disappeared from the internet we i don't know if we were ever ever really on it but um it was 2009 so social media was doing all right Mm -hmm. um Web pages were definitely a thing. We mm-hmm. didn't have one of those, not even a landing page. MySpace was sunsetting. Facebook was rising. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was about five years after my dad had closed Birmingham, our Birmingham location that was open for about 25 years. And people just thought we disappeared. They didn't know that we had always had a location elsewhere. So that was what I saw as the opportunity was kind of firing up those people to come to Redford. And that still happens. Mm-hmm. I yeah. feel like they're like when I pop into the bakery, there's still people like, oh, you're still open. And you're like, really? Yeah. Like still? You haven't figured that out? I know. We we spend a lot of money on ad- <laughs> advertising on the Internet. So. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's when I started to want. That's when I knew I just needed to move home and make it happen here and kind of be my dad's right hand person. But my grandpa was still involved at that point. Mm-hmm. So it was a little it was a little I didn't really have like a, an official title <laughs> for a while or really know what i was doing i was just kind of aimlessly picking up that low-hanging fruit and um eventually things started to shift Mm -hmm. and i was able to take over more and more responsibility and now i am the sole owner of Mm. agrid scottish bakery and so what was your did your dad have a like reaction just like you know thank goodness the legacy lives on or it's just like my grandparents didn't care. Okay. I feel like I wanted a little more fanfare, and I didn't get that. <laughs> okay. And I've learned to accept that I probably never will. My grandfather passed away two years ago, so yeah. not getting it from him, but um, not getting it from grandma. <laughs> but that's okay. That's their generation. that, And they're really British and Scottish, so it's to be expected. Um, and then – my dad is thankful I'm there mm-hmm. most days, and then other days he probably wants to just lop my head off. But that's our relationship because I um, kind of just take control a lot and tell him mm-hmm. this is how I think things should be. And you're probably going to retire soon, so just move out of the way so I can do my thing. Right. 
19 so that was so 1948 Redford essentially is the Nope. No. Detroit. Detroit. Started in Detroit. Okay. Um post war. Post war. Yeah. My first generation, that generation, your grandparents? Nope. They were second generation. Okay. Oh, they were first generation. Yeah, their parents. My my grandpa, my grandpa and his great uncle. Yep. Were born in Canada. Mm. To their Scottish parents. Okay. And then my great uncle started working for a butcher over in Windsor and then was like, Psh, I can do this on my own, going to Detroit and making this happen. So that is what he did. And then he encouraged my grandfather to be a part of it. So he did. And then that was in Detroit. And they opened another location near City Airport. That was at Six Mile and Schaefer. Okay. So that's Westmore West Side. Is the building still exist? I think so. We drove by mm. it as quickly as possible. Okay. <laughs> it's not the best area. It's kind of a forgotten area of Detroit. Um, and then they had another location by City Airport. And then they opened one in Dearborn and in Flint. Wow. Yeah. It's they were enterprising. Yeah, I know. And then Flint, they closed down because it just wasn't happening up there for them. And then... Uh, Dearborn just burned to the ground, so that one closed itself. Oops. Yeah. These are still just a butcher store? Uh, no, that was a bakery at that point in okay. time. So they evolved into a bakery because they would make these Scottish meats, um, and their customers were Scottish people, yeah. and they would say, you know, hey, we really want these meat pies and these bridies and these sausage rolls we're used to having at home. And my grandpa was buying them from a local baker, and then being the um, – entrepreneur that he was was like Psh, i can make this stuff i don't need i don't need to buy this so he started making them on his own um and testing them on customers and i think they made like two dozen meat pies at a time that was like the max at the time because they'd form the shells mm -hmm. over mason jars in the oh, basement of my grandparents home <laughs> so i'm sure that city the health up, up inspector would have something yep. to say about that now um but I, back then that was totally fine um, Make America great again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to convert my basement into a mason jar shell-making yeah. operation. <laughs> well, I mean, it's mostly beer right now, so. Yeah, and children's toys. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, then um, that's how it evolved into that. And then the tea cakes came along when one of our employees, her brother came over from Scotland. He happened to be a baker of sweet Scottish tea cakes over in Scotland. And he didn't want to be bored at home waiting for her at work all day, so... He asked my grandpa if he could join in on the fun and kind of play around there and sell the stuff he was making. And so my grandpa agreed, as long as you leave us the recipes, come on in, we'll hmm. pay you. And yeah, that's, nice. that's how all that happened. So the, the, current, um, the current base of your uh, customers, is it more people that are, have had this stuff as a kid, either in Scotland or with their parents, or is it new people that, are, that have never had this stuff before? And are just like, oh, this is pretty good. I should eat this. It is a variety. Okay. It is both of those things. Um, I couldn't tell you a percentage, but we have a lot of that, that a lot of people that can point to the old picture of my grandpa looking like a young buck on the wall and say, I remember those days when meat pies were 25 cents or whatever, two for 25 cents. And then we have those people also there with their children and their children and their children's children. Mm -hmm. We have four generations come in sometimes, wow. which is really, really awesome and so unique. You don't find that in a lot of places. Um, and I don't take that for granted at all because I, I just really think that's cool and something that I want to be a part of. 
Um, and then we also have the people that we have reached by being just like this really unique cultural destination. So you, a couple of years ago, you decided to, you probably, you and Joe a little bit have decided to uh, get a little more adventurous with some of your, the innards of your pies. <laughs> Is that an appetizing way to put it? No. <laughs> um, so, and, and the one that probably pops out to me is I know curry is a very, uh, you know, United Kingdom-ish flavor. Is that something you would find in a Scottish bakery, like one of those curry pies? So traditional Scottish bakeries are kind of kind of harder to find when you're over there now. Oh. Um, we found a few. I mean, we seek them out, obviously, when we're there. Mm-hmm. And curry pies were not something I saw over there. We saw macaroni and cheese pies, and that's what gave us the inspiration to mm-hmm. do the mac and cheese pies, okay. which are a really big seller. And that's also a cool draw for people that have never been in before. Like, oh, I know macaroni and cheese. And they're and super accessible, right. In a pie shell. Yeah. Like, I can I can do that. I can be Scottish for mm-hmm. a day. <laughs> uh, and so... Yeah, then we kind of, you know, when you're in Scotland, there's tons of of Indian influence mm-hmm. and wonderful Indian food over there. So we wanted to incorporate that into our into our offerings. Yeah. Nice. And then you've very recently you've gone uh very interesting with your um the sweet pies with the sweet uh tarts. I'm not really good with my terminologies right now. We'll call them tea cakes. Tea cakes. Mm-hmm. And uh you've gone down this line of They call like, you the fojos for a reason. The fojos. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz I'm not good enough to be a real host. <laughs> You've gone down this line of um, cocktail recipes, and uh, the first one you did was Negroni cake, mm-hmm. right? And then you went to a penicillin. Mm-hmm. And are we on the third iteration? The old fashioned oh, cherry nice. pie. Yeah, nice. So what what encouraged you to do that? Joe likes okay. he likes hard likes liquor. Booze. Yeah, okay. he does. And so and people he like cocktails. To, yeah, yeah. People like cocktails, and cocktail culture is a big deal right now. So we thought it would be fun to bring the two worlds together, and it has been. Are they like bestseller hits that, you know, where people are like knocking down the doors mm-hmm. over? No, but they're selling well and they're they're really great. We're and really, they're interesting yeah. and they're fun. interesting and fun and they're yeah. yeah. I'm trying to back up to that mac and cheese. Like, can we get a lobster mac and cheese? Ooh. Uh, um yeah. Nothing's stopping you from putting meat in, right? Whoa, seafood though. Have you Is gone down weird? the seafood road? No, and it's something I really have been wanting to do because mm. Scottish salmon is a big deal. Ooh. It's delicious, and it's a, you know, a big export of theirs. So I would like to be involved in some Scottish salmon somehow. <sighs> Problem is sometimes it's hard to, it's hard to grow when you're um, continuing to complicate your man- manufacturing process. Sure, right. So we're not. Um, we're not a restaurant, so we don't make things on the fly like that day. That's it. Like we make 22 dozen of things at once and that's still small batch, um, but it's not it's not they're not all leaving that day. So um, I don't know what I'm trying to get at is that if we we're really growth focused, I'm really growth focused and that makes it. It make it presents its a lot of challenges. Mm. What like we think of all these great ideas, like you just said, sure. like a lobster mac and cheese, like a chorizo mac and cheese. We can put some pesto in there, yeah. and, um, but and they all sound great. But how you get to the logistics yeah. of yeah. how do we how actually do you execute it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. market right. test it and then right. work through the production process. And we have a huge menu offer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we make everything from scratch in house and. That's a lot of work. It's yeah. a lot of things to manage. And currently our space, 
where we do actual food production is about uh, thirteen hundred square feet. Yeah, I might be yeah, maybe fourteen hundred. Yeah, I think it's about fourteen hundred, and then our retail is about four hundred. So we're packed in there, mm-hmm. um, and that that gets that's it's limiting, unfortunately. Now, at one time, you were looking at uh, selling some of your meat products to grocery stores. Mm-hmm. Is that something you are still exploring? I know there's a ton of paperwork and legality that goes along with that. Yeah, my grandpa used to sell them into Farmer Jack's okay. way way back when Farmer Jack's was a place. Or A&P. Mm. I don't oh, remember. Well, that's, I think, that's an even better throwback. I, I want to say it's A&P and then it turned Farmer Jack's bought A&P. That's, that's likely, potentially, yep. Was it Farmer Jack's or Farmer Jack? Like Meyer One of Meyers. them was a Farmer Jack. Maybe multi of them will <laughs> Farmer Jack's. Jack's. <laughs> Um, it's like one of those, I can't remember what they call it, but there's the effect where everybody thinks they remember it as Farmer Jack's, but it was probably Farmer Jack, but everybody remembers it. Yeah, that'll Jack's. be Meyer one day. Well, there's freaking Myers. Everyone Myers. says Myers. Oh, my goodness. Is it there's Meyer? no S. Wikipedia tells me it's just Farmer Jack. Ha! Farmer thank you. Jack. Look at that. <laughs> but there are multiple Farmer Jack's. <laughs> Locations. Yes. <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Jason wanted to be just a little bit right. <laughs> a little bit. I wasn't that invested. I'm glad I know, though, because <laughs> if this conversation ever happens again, I'll be prepared. Yeah. Trivia night. Exactly. I want you on our team. Farmer Jack. You don't so, want me on your team, though. Have you gone? Have you decided to go down that road? Is it kind of on hold right now? That involves the USDA. Okay. I had a USDA inspector come into our bakery and laugh at me. Like, where are you going to put all this stuff? <laughs> and ah, he was just like, it's too small. And it. it's not, that's never going to work here. So um, I'm looking at other other locations okay. to uh, kind of move our manufacturing to so that we can have it set up as a USDA facility. So my stamp on the business is not going to be um, staying where we are and mm-hmm. and just keeping everything as is. Right. I really want to make um, my own impact on the place. And um, did your grandfather go to college? No. Did your father go to college? Yes. Okay. And now you went to some... You went to some fancy business training thing, right? Michigan State yes. Road College of yes. Business. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a good one. Oh, you're talking about Goldman Sachs. <laughs> also that too. <laughs> I was say, I wouldn't say broad as that. Fancy. But that's, but again, so, you, so, all right, yes, college educated. And on top of that, right. you mm-hmm. did this training. Yes. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that because that was a big deal, right? The Goldman Sachs yeah. 10,000 Small Businesses mm-hmm. program was a really big deal. Yeah, it was, it was really great. They... Basically, take businesses, you have to go and you interview with them, and they um, accept businesses that have a growth, basically a plan for growth. Hmm. Um, What I learned from being in the program is your plan could have been real loose or really pretty tightened up, like you were ready to run with it. Um, And then they kind of – what you do in the program, there's – I almost say like – how long was it? 12 weeks? And in each week, you're learning there's a, there's a certain topic. Mm-hmm. And they, you get into HR issues. You get into operational issues. You get into mark, sales and marketing. And each one, you'd kind of do like a, I don't want to say a deep dive, but a deeper dive than, than maybe you've taken in the past. Okay. And they force you to look at things in a certain, in different, in a different light. And you get to, um, you know, co- network with people and, commiserate and celebrate and um network i mean networking i think is probably pretty big it's it was really huge because you got to understand so as a business owner it's really lonely (laughs) in a 
was really lonely. And you're not friends. Like, you can't be friends with everyone. Mm-hmm. You're, it's not like you're an employee and you can have your best friend. You can't have a work wife or a work husband when you're the when you're the yeah. person in charge. Yeah. So um, it was extremely lonely until I hired on the handsome Joe Hakeem <laughs> a few years ago. <laughs> it was more than a few years ago. It was probably like five years ago now. Um, and... So it's really great to be and, – and even Joe doesn't always understand everything that mm-hmm. I'm going through because I've got – the financials all lay on my shoulders. Right. Um, and and so it's really great to be around other people that understand that what that's all about. Mm-hmm. Most of these people did not have investors. Um, God, what that must be like to have an investor. <laughs> Sounds a little nice. And then other days I'm like, don't touch my don't touch my equity. Well, then, I didn't know what equity was yeah. before I took the Goldman Sachs program. Because you do, I mean, you have the family, which I think a lot of them would probably be interested in, having that heritage and that history and all that. That's, but at the same time, having like a little, you know, grandpa money bags would be nice too. Yeah, yeah. Um, it would be real nice. Yeah. Let's and my family doesn't really want to get involved. Um Interesting. They I think they want to keep it separated. Okay. And I can't say that without thinking of offspring. It's offspring, right? Keep them separated. You gotta keep them separated. So you get that (laughs) reference, but you don't get my Highlander reference? (laughs) No, because I was a 90s dork and not a Highlander dork. (laughs) So uh, we are sipping on some scotch right here, which you brought back from Denver, Mm -hmm. which is where Joe is hiding out in clouds of... Wrestler sweat. Wrestler sweat. I was going to say something else, but yeah, wrestler sweat. (laughs) And um, this isn't bad. It's actually growing on me. I was, I was a little skeptical when it because it's like green almost. Yeah, it's a small batch. So we went to this liquor store that was like a highly curated. They only had maybe, maybe forty bottles of scotch of anything of anything of okay. everything. Okay. Um, and they had I think the he was trying to sell me on this one called Ooh, I wish. I, uh, I wish I could think of the name of it, but um, it was $150. So I we're not, went we're down not worth it. a notch because I did tell him, I said, they're just not worth no, it. Worth it. <laughs> and this is the Epicurean. And there's an overly hipster guy on there with a handlebar mustache and a top hat. Yeah, I really wanted the other one because it had like this sassy looking powerful woman on it. And I wanted that. But look at the marketing. Yeah, but but. Now you're stuck with hipster, dude. Yeah, but I'm cheap too at the same time. <laughs> so yeah, this, I mean, it's not bad. Lowland blended uh, malt scotch. It's a high proof. He almost looks Irish, though. That would be my only. Oh yeah, because of all the green. Oh. Yeah, but I mean, okay. th- there is definitely a green tint to the juice. Maybe because the label's green. I don't know. He said it wasn't peaty, based on obviously it's not from the peaty area of Scotland, but um... no, but there's some guts on it. Yeah. Yeah. That guy doesn't really scream Scottish either. No, he screams like, I just tied someone to the railroad tracks and they're about to get ran over. <laughs> it's got a butt chin, which I, I always find fun. <laughs> I do like a good butt it's chin. It's not green in the glass, though, so I'm thinking that it probably is oh, like something a ref- to do with the, I'm sorry, the packaging, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it appears pretty fairly. It's just not, I, I usually think of scotch as being a lot darker than this. Yes, and I do feel like most scotches are quite a bit darker. Even the blended ones, I feel like, definitely have some darkness. But hey, who might a reason why? I mean, you guys haven't stopped drinking it, so no, you're, we're not, you're not minding it too much. We're two-thirds through that bottle. Two, also, thanks to Randy. Two-thirds. One-third? One-third. Not good. There's two-thirds left. 
There we go. Okay. Yeah, look, you're just trying to be optimistic. I'm trying. I'm trying hard. Optimistic and bad at math. Um, one of the things you also want to talk about uh, a little about about is something that you don't think it's covered very often, and that is mental health in the small business community. So, talk about this. Why do you think this is important to small business owners? Obviously, you t- you talked a little bit about uh, feeling kind of alienated up in the top. So, does this kind of tie into that? Um the the hard liquor or the <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe that is one of the. One of the prescriptions for this. Sure. It is probably one for a lot of people. Um, I, yes, I saw a lot of people struggling in Goldman Sachs, um, but there was not, so I, we didn't find out about it until I would have like one-on-one conversations with people. So this wasn't a topic. This was like, you're just talking to someone. Right. Okay. Oh, no. It was never brought up. And I've been the one in the alumni group to bring it up. Mm-hmm. Um, I see, you know, you see articles. Um, I remember reading one. I think it was in Forbes about or Inc., whatever, um, about how entrepreneurs are significantly more likely to have suffer from anxiety and depression <laughs> than non-entrepreneurs. And it gives a list of reasons why. And one of those is that Entrepreneurs tend to be a certain personality type, which is also something that we saw firsthand in Goldman Sachs. They make you do this, like, put you into a box with your personality type type of deal. And it was really general. But everyone was like, you know, this extrovert that doesn't really think yep. through decisions. <laughs> comb through those close enough. And was it like a, like a Lyman Briggs type thing? Yeah, sort of. I don't remember what it was called okay. now. But it wasn't, it wasn't Myers-Briggs because there was Myers-Briggs. only four – there were only four. I think that was a dorm know, that at MSU better. that you just Lyman Briggs was at MSU dorm. <laughs> I thought that was the all girls dorm. No wonder it sticks in your mind. Yeah. <laughs> it was also near that band practice field, so that was probably yeah, that it. was probably it. Yeah, <laughs> we'll go with that, Kalish. <laughs> anyway, so um, it, they tend to be risk takers, of course, because owning your own business and having all these finances mm-hmm. on your shoulders is a huge risk. Yeah. Um, and high anxiety, high stress. Yeah. So all of that kind of goes together. Um, and reading through the article, I was like, yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> um, and I, th- I think that, oh, sorry. Quit touching stuff. Sorry. <laughs> I can't help but move. Um, and not only that, but like the food industry has a lot going on with it too. And, and that's probably even amplified even more because especially kind of uh, back of the house is very high stress mm-hmm. and not often, all high stress. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, I think that's a com- I think that's a um, something that is not talked about for a variety of reasons. Certainly in the service industry as a whole, I can understand that as an entrepreneur, as a manager. Um, I, I wonder if like for entrepreneurs, I wonder if part of it is exacerbated by like the cult of the entrepreneur, like, you know, you're not supposed to like, yeah, risk taking is a part of it. You're kind of like, you know, on the forefront of pushing forward and it's like pulling yourself up from your bootstraps and making things out of nothing and creating, you know, you're this creative force that's, you know, driving new business. And it's, I think it's very hard for people to, to step back and get out of that mentality and say, maybe, it's okay that I'm worn down mentally or I need to recharge or it's this is tougher than it looks maybe to some people. Uh, yeah, every single entrepreneur 
that was in that group at one point or another, because some some had a lot more experience under their belt than others, um, and some had a lot more stable of businesses than others, <laughs> and every single one had the same has been through the whole like all of this. If the minute I stop, everything falls apart. Stage, and it's expensive to go to the next stage it's scary to go to the next stage it's letting go of control to be able to say like okay i'm going to delegate this thing that is kind of like part of me and that's another thing it's like delegation's tough delegation stuff but also when you identify as your business that becomes a really big deal Mm -hmm. when you kind of realize i don't have an identity outside of you know whatever business it is that i own because i've given it everything that i have um, for me, it's this weird dynamic because I'm in this business that could chug along just if I just want to get in there and be the owner operator every day for the rest of my life, which is what my grandpa did. It's mm-hmm. kind of the path my dad was going down. My dad loves it. Like he loves doing things all the time. He likes being in the bakery, doing the things. I just want the bakery to do the things for me. <laughs> I want to be the conductor. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be, I don't want to be first violin. Um, I just want. But you can't. Like, I mean, at this point, you can't be the baker because then it's almost like your. I don't want to say your skills are wasted, but at the same time, that is a skill that you can easily delegate. Whereas you're the one that needs to be, you know, thinking about the new idea, marketing it, getting your name out, being the face of it. If you were baking, you would not have time to do those other things. That's right. Yeah. So it's this. It's a push and pull that you have to figure out. You find and p- different people reach those points at different you know different stages mm-hmm. of their their career, but um, even once you start delegating, it's a lot of pressure sure. because like every day I look at I look at the business like I am responsible for the lives of twelve people. Um, could they go off and get jobs somewhere else? Yeah, maybe, but I I see it as I am responsible for their financial for their financial life right now, mm-hmm. and if I do one thing, which is kind of easy to do in a business. If I do one thing, screws it all up, they're all out. They're mm-hmm. all out of job. Mm-hmm. They're all out benefits. They're out, you know, they're out a lot. And I don't want to be responsible for that. And that's a lot of weight on your shoulders. And it's so, only 12 people. That's well, not that many. But it's a lot to me. Like each one of those people, that's their whole life. Right. So what was the what was the feedback or the if everybody was sort mm-hmm. of in the in the same program and experiencing the same thing unsaid the program for 10,000 businesses doesn't sound like it was that wasn't something that they were really addressing uh, on the surface although it seems to be a common thread beneath the surface so what was the like what's the solution what's what was the feedback about after the, all that yeah the a big part of it was learn like teaching delegation what does it mean to delegate you can just say like let's delegate this or you can actually you know go through the right proper steps to delegate something that that where it would be a successful delegation. So one of the exercises was That's a skill set in itself. Yeah, one of the exercises like your homework was to go pick a task, pick a person you're going to delegate it to and do it that weekend. Um or do it like within the next week. In the business, not like In the business, not like not Joe like, do yeah. the laundry. No, okay. no, he already does that. Oh, <laughs> good for Joe. Yeah. He's a good one. Uh yeah, so it was um that so was delegation's really one thing. Yeah. So they but were I, kind yeah. of addressing it in their own way too. Yeah, mm-hmm. but not without but but without actually talking about it. Right. I feel like there's just so much surface level like look at how pretty this business is and then you just peel back one layer and people are in the I guess the owners I like thinking. ah That's what I was thinking more of the perception of the entrepreneur as not, you know, 
to admit that you're struggling with something is kind of maybe against the perception of like this person's making all these things happen. And yeah, it's also probably step one too. like just saying like I am struggling, you know, like I need help. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that doesn't happen enough. Mm -hmm. I saw it. I saw it not happening a lot in my group because you're maybe you're afraid that people lose confidence, especially if you have investors. If you have someone that says, I'm giving you this big pile of money and you say I need help, they might be like, give me back my pile of money. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I really have struggled with it. And I finally after. Who was it? It was Anthony Bourdain after he died. Mm -hmm. um, I started someone, someone, a friend of mine had posted like, what are you doing to take care of yourself? Yep. There was a lot of that that was circulating around then. Yeah. And uh, Sandy from the Oakland posted I work out at station 515 and I was like, oh, I don't know what that is. I'm going to look into that. <laughs> so that's kind of when I've, I've been for the last couple of years, I was like, self-care is a manicure, but manicures do not make me feel better for longer than like 15 minutes. Right. <laughs> My brain did not catch up <laughs> to feeling sane after 15 minutes. But yeah, um, I think that it's really hard to admit that you need help. And I think it's really hard to admit when, your business is like, even if your business is doing well, that right. that you're that you're okay. Right, Megan. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, how can people find out more about Acroids? You can go to acroidsbakery.com. Okay, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, Twitter. I don't know what else Joe does. All of that. If you're in Metro Detroit, come visit you in Redford. Yeah, five mile and beach daily. Five and go. telegraph to a lot of people from uh, this side of town. Perfect. Yeah. Megan, thank you so much. Jason, thank you. Thank you. And until next time, dine well, friends.